we now once more turn to uh, God's Word. As we continue on our journey through 1 Timothy. So if you will turn with me. I think this started. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be focusing in on verses 6 through 12. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. Keep in mind subject here that we're talking about. Here's the question that we're always seeking to answer when it comes to this very epistle. How is it that we, as a church, present Christ? How is it that we, the pillar and buttress of the truth, that is those who hold up the truth of Jesus Christ, the mystery of godliness, the person, his person and his work, how is it that we do that in our relationships and our daily lives and specifically here in reference to our possessions? And so this uh, we seek by God's grace to answer how is it that we reveal Christ in our possessions and our perspective of our possessions. Let us stand if we are able uh, to read 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 through 12. This is the word of God. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money... The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your word now, Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would present Jesus Christ in all his glory, and that we would respond in praise to you, Lord God, not just hearing your word, but living your word, Lord God, in this, in this wilderness, Lord, uh, we pray that you would encourage us and continue to remind us of your gospel. Even through the preaching of your word, we pray that you would, uh, Lord, strengthen your servant, fill him with your spirit, that he may speak Christ in all his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
as we uh, come now to God's Word and speaking about this idea of pursuing riches or pursuing righteousness, the question that we need to be asking ourselves is this. I, I, I want you to key in on this, folks. The reality of Jesus Christ means what? It means that ultimately, in Him, your heavenly possessions are beyond even your imagination. As you look at the things of this world and the riches of this world, all the things that you possess, kids, you might like, like your video games. I know my kids consider themselves gamers. They love video games. They love to play with their phones and their computers and love iPads and things like that, playing with, with stuff like that. You, you, keep off, you, you adults may have your hobbies that you like. Um, you know, those things are temporary. And the question you always need to ask yourself is, are you willing to take those things, put them to the side, when it's time to put your full and focus to Jesus? If God was to call you to get rid of all that stuff, to get rid of your toys, to get rid of your computers, to get rid of your phones, to get rid of your video games, would you be willing to do it? It's a tough question, isn't it? It's tough. But you have to be willing to say yes. But the reason why you have to be willing to say that is not merely because it's good, but because Jesus Christ saved you for better things. He saved you for better things. And we are to follow in the example for Christ as we lift up the truth of Jesus Christ to all people. The significance of the gospel is this. That the things of this world are transitory and that the treasures of Christ are infinite. They are eternal. You, you, you cannot plumb the depths of the riches that Jesus Christ has granted you because of his salvation. And the significance of the gospel is, is written out in 2 Corinthians 8-9. This is what Paul says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and he certainly was rich, wasn't he? How rich was Jesus Christ? Jesus is God himself. Jesus is the one through whom and to whom are all things. He is the Son of God Himself. He is the one who owns not only you, but everything in the heavens and the earth. He is more rich than, put it this way, Elon Musk lives in the ghettos compared to what Jesus Christ has. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Poor. How poor did he become? So poor that he hung naked on a cross and was executed for no good reason whatsoever. The lone innocent man in the face of the earth, in the history of the world, the one man who you could point to and say, that man is most certainly good. I'm not. Nobody on this earth is. Nobody in the, in the history of the world could claim complete and utter innocence. That man could. And he, who is God himself in the flesh, rich in all things, 
could have destroyed this world in a millisecond and built himself a new one. Instead, by his own will and of his own pleasure, submitted to the Father and willingly, for the sake of his people, became poor. Gave up ever. He gave a lot. He gave up a lot more than video games, kids. He gave up his own life. And he consumed the wrath of God. He, 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 he sunk into the depths of hell. The fire being poured upon his head on the cross. He became poor. And why? So that you, so that you all who believe in Christ may be rich. Not materially rich. Although there are many ways in which we are provided very good things in this world, we live in the lush and comfortable United States of America, in which we have nice houses, cars, pools, video games, iPhones, iPads. We're able to do many magnificent things. We are more wealthy than really than almost anybody. Because I was heard and read one time that if you make $30,000 a year, you are more wealthy than 10% of the world's population. What do you think about that for a second? That's how wealthy we are here in this country. But that wealth is transitory. And as I tell my kids quite often, and they know this saying, like the back of their head, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And so what are we to do? And, and this is our reaction for knowing. You know that if you believe in Jesus Christ, the riches of this world are nothing. Nothing. And so you're not to look to these things. You are to look to your heavenly treasure, which is yours in Christ. Just as it was read earlier. Do not seek the treasures of this world. Seek the treasures that are in heaven. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. What, what sort of all these things? It's the things that you need. You need shelter. You need clothing. You need food. You need things to live and operate while here in this earth. While you are performing the ministry of God, God will provide it to you. It's one of the things that we've learned as a family. Back when we were struggling financially. The amazing thing is that we were never less destitute, left destitute. God was always able and willing to find a way to preserve his people. Even those who struggle. And so we are to keep our eyes in heaven. God knows that we need all these things. But our eyes are to be fixed on our heavenly realities. Our high eyes are to be fixed on the finished work of Jesus Christ. A privilege we have that back in the Old Testament, they didn't have that privilege. They, 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 they were sustained by God. Surely they were. But we have something more magnificent. What they saw and hoped in the future, we see now as a reality. Jesus Christ risen, seated on high, and we are seated in Him. But we still look forward to that wonderful day in which we will be raised in Him, full of health and vitality. And what is ours as an inheritance that is given to us through the Spirit, 
will be given to us with full possession in reality. And so what is our response? How do we hold up that truth? The truth of the riches of Jesus Christ himself. Well, there's several ways that we're supposed to do that. Number one, be content with the basics. Be content with the basics. Look at verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Of course, this is in response to, this is a comparison of verse 5. Those who pray the mind to pride the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Of course, what he means there is monetary gain. These are people that come into the church thinking that they can get something out of it. And what I don't mean is salvation. What I mean is they think that is going to do things like it's going to help their marriage. They think it's going to be like, well, this is good for my kids. They think they come in and, well, you know, I, I want this house and that house, and, and I'm poor and I want to get some food, so uh, this church gives some free food uh, once a month, so I'm going to show up once a month in order to get some free food. No, if you're, if you're coming for any other reason than to give glory to Jesus Christ, it is that by which you are spiritually fed. If you are coming to church in order to seek earthly riches, then you're coming to church for the wrong reasons. If you're coming for a program, if you're coming to help your kids, if you're coming because you want to do better in your job, if you're coming for any other reason than to serve Christ in worship, if you're coming for any other reason than to seek the treasures that are in heaven, you're coming to church for the wrong reasons. You have to be content with the basics. And, and number one, Paul says in verse 7, something that is absolutely just painfully obvious. And it's this, that the things of this world are painfully brief. Those of you who are older in your congregation, you start, you feel this, and you know this firsthand. How quick is life? Bang! It is a blink. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. You kids have not figured this out yet. Trust me. Because I was your age once, and I thought, man, yeah, life is long. No. You start to figure out. As soon as you get older, and those who speak to your grandparents, and they will tell you, life is a blink. And it's brief. And we took nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. This is what Paul says in verse 7. We brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world. Obvious statement. It's thought perhaps that Paul might be thinking about Job, what he cried out after he lost everything. Job in chapter 1, verse 21, right? He lost everything. He was rich, and he lost everything. He lost his kids. He lost his possessions. It went even to the point where he lost even his health, and his wife told him to curse God and die. And then he rebuked his wife for saying such a thing. And what does he cry out? Naked I came, and naked I will go. God has taken, he, he has given, and he has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. His response for him being wrapped up and taking everything away from him is worshiping the Lord. He may be thinking of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, when it again proclaims that we that, that Solomon. The preacher himself claims that, you know, when, when man comes in, he's naked. When he leaves, he can't take anything with him. And he calls this a vanity and a chasing after the wind. I remember uh, thinking about uh, when my father had died. And one, of, one of the most 
significant things of those of you who have, who have experienced death who, who are close to you. I know there are several of you here who experienced death close to your family. One of the things that you, you might do is, is that person is now gone. You might go to their closet and you notice their clothes are still hanging there. Their shoes are still on the floor. Their possessions are there, their computers. You might rummage through some of their jewelry. It's still sitting there on the table. But they're not there. I know that's one of the, the, the painful aspects of it. Of, of this idea of death. The fact that, but, but it really speaks to us by experience. This reality. We came into this world with nothing. And we will leave with nothing. Nothing. And then the added reason, on top of what Paul says here, is not, not, to, not to seek the things of this world, is what Jesus says about treasures on earth. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, we, we just read it. The treasures on earth, moth and rust destroy. Thieves can come and break in. This, is, this comes in with the added measure of stress, thinking to ourselves, are we going to lose it? Are we going to lose everything? Jesus says, yes, you will. <laughs> it's an inevitability. You're going to lose all these things. So why seek after them? And then Paul says later on, he says, all we need are the bare necessities. Look at verse 8. If we have food and clothing, food literally covering, covering, this includes not just clothing, but I think clothing is a bit simplistic of a, of a translation here. Food and coverings that would include both clothing and shelter. With these, we will be content. This may be a, a difficult thing to hear, even though you know it's true. And they think, think of how stressful it is for those who especially live in our rich nation. How stressful is it for you to think that all our constitutional rights will be taken away? How stressful is that for you? Is that stressful? Or are you content with food and clothing? With food and covering? Church in China, they have food and covering. They don't have the constitutional rights that we enjoy. You don't need a three or four bedroom house. You don't need that nice car. You don't need to go in a restaurant or have a great vacation. They're all nice. We would say they are all good. They are relevant gifts. I'm not saying that those things are evil in and of themselves. They're not. No. We would pray for the blessings of our nation. It's, it's wonderful, and we should be thankful for the fact that we do live in a nation in which we are free, without molestation, to worship God. But understanding that our treasure is in heaven, we may come to a certain point, and it's slowly starting to breed its ugly head, in which we are going to have to still give joy and glory and worship to our God, despite the fact that perhaps, just maybe, just maybe, all our American rights are stripped from us. And why should we be able to do that? 
because we start recognizing and focusing on the reality that our citizenship is not ultimately here. It's in heaven. As soon as anything beyond food and cover becomes a need, a need, that's when your life becomes a stressful trap. Think about this for a second. Anytime anything above God's means of grace and food and cover becomes a need, think of how much stress that places on your mind. Here's the question. Can you live on those necessities? Think about it this way. Does Grace Church need to be big? Are we okay being a church that struggles alone? It just struggles despite little finances here and little there. Just kind of struggling and, and, and pulling along. Even worse, will we be content knowing that the kingdom of God will certainly live on even if this church were to close its doors? Uh, you certainly need Christ and you certainly need to gather with the saints. But do you need this building? Do you? God, you take into consideration God might have something bigger in mind. All you need is food and covering and with these things you will be satisfied. You will be content. What is your perspective on the pearl of great worth? Matthew chapter 13 verse 45, Jesus talks about the parable of the pearl of great worth in which a man finds a pearl digging and finds a pearl of great worth and, and what's his response? He sells everything, gets rid of everything and purchases that one pearl of great worth. Of course, that pearl of great worth is represented by Jesus Christ himself. And the question is, how much are you willing to give up that you may gain Christ. Paul had learned how useless the treasures of earth are compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. He speaks about it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. All the things that he possessed as a, as a, as a, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was on his way to being the elite, rich, beyond comparison. And then he says, I considered all that to be rubbish. And, and rubbish is kind of a quaint word. It's, it's a lot more colorful of a term that he uses. Um, a more accurate term would be something like horse manure. Um, except he uses even a more colorful language than that. That's how worth he considers all those earthly blessings that he would receive as a Pharisee. And he gives them up to a price in order that he may gain Christ. But remember that godliness with contentment is in fact great gain, isn't it? There is great gain in seeking the treasures in heaven. And with that perspective, contentment in this life is possible. And the contentment can even be defined in this in a verse that's often quoted by my wife. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But remember... It's, this, is, this is an if-then statement, that verse. If you delight yourself in, in what? In, 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 your, in your house and in your family? No. If you delight yourself in the Lord, 
of your heart. This is equal to saying to Jesus Christ, it's the blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? What would be the result? You will be satisfied. So, don't crave stuff. This is my second major point. Don't crave stuff. The desire for wealth destroys you. Look at verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, to a snare, to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It makes one fall into temptations and harmful and foolish desires. It, it sinks people into idolatry. What is idolatry? It's lifting up and considering something more valuable than Christ himself. That's idolatry. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Here's a significant thing. If you think about this, this is, this is pretty significant. The world, if you chase after the material things of this world, what does the world call it? The world calls this virtuous. The world calls it good. Now, folks, from a civil standpoint, I'm a capitalist. From an ultimate standpoint, I reject it. Capitalism does certainly build monetary benefits for a society. But, and this is a reality, folks, it is also a feeding ground for greed if it is left unchecked. It is a feeding ground for greed. And unbelievers call this, quote, the American dream. As such, a desire to be wealthy becomes a snare to God's people because it pulls your eye off your heavenly treasures and it sinks your eyes into earthly things. It plunges men into destruction, as our text says. It, it, destruction is even here on earth. Piles of massive debt, really, is, is through people who desire some of these earthly possessions and they get into a lot of debt because they're spending above their means. Stress and anxiety come about. This is why Jesus talks about anxiety in the midst of talking about treasures in heaven and treasures on earth, which is right about it in Matthew chapter 6. He talks about not to be anxious over these things. Don't be anxious. Talking about laying treasures in heaven. Even wealthy people many times do not have the opportunity to enjoy all of their possessions. Why? Because they're anxious about losing it. Many of them even suffer health problems. Remember, there's a, a friend of mine, and, and I won't mention his name because, because all of us here, many of us here know him, colleagues that he speaks of. This man is wealthy. These are wealthy, wealthy colleagues. Millionaires, millionaires. And they have lots of million-dollar houses and beautiful yachts in Florida, vacation homes all over the place. And they are never able to, they are constantly anxious. They're afraid they're going to lose it. They are never given the proper ability to just restfully enjoy all that's been given to them. It steals away the joy of these things. This is in, a text, in our text in, in verse 10, it says that it causes faithlessness and sorrow. Look, look at verse 10. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, isn't it? Now it doesn't say that money is evil. It says the love of money, it is the root of all different types 
of evil. So when you talk about evil of a person, a lot of times money is the back issue. It's the root problem. It is through this craving some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Literally pangs is sorrows, frustrations. Desire for wealth causes people to swerve from the faith. Why? Because it causes idolatry. You want to be rich? It's a snare. It entraps you as a believer in Christ. It pulls you away from the faith. It pulls your eyes off of Christ, who is your greatest treasure, if you're chasing after riches. That's idolatry. And then you will get pierced by sorrows because earthly riches can never satisfy the soul. You will always want more. This is characterized by an addiction to money, which will only get worse if not overcome by the full conviction of the grace of Jesus Christ. Money, earning money, success, power is a drug just like any other. When you first get it, it feels really good, but then that feeling just kind of goes away real quick. And then what happens? You're going to need more to kind of get that, that, that feeling back. But of course, that feeling never comes back, does it? And it acts as a slave. It takes a hold on you. And you are never satisfied. I remember talking to my cousin one time about this idea of him owning a business and making a lot of money out of it. And I said, like, it's great. You have so much money. It's not like you're, you're making more. And he goes, Sam, let me tell you. When you make more money, all you do is spend more. And so what? Where is the satisfaction? It's like a drug. You can never have enough of it. And that first high that you got, it's never a sign. <coughs> it's, 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 it's no difference. It's, it's kind of interesting when people tell me, you know, oh, I, my family has a history of addiction. Duh. It's called humanity. It's called sin. It's called your heart is pulled to constantly worship something. Of course, addiction is genetic. It's human. We were created in Adam, and we all came from him. And guess what? Because we have this tendency to worship, we will always create a God. And whichever, whoever our God and whatever our God is, that is what we will be addicted to. And if you are addicted to money, the love of money, the worship of money instead of the love of God, you will be addicted to that. And it will never satisfy you. It's same for all the things of this world. Addictions cannot just be placed aside. It must be replaced. And it must be replaced by Jesus Christ himself. The promise of the gospel. That he will provide every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Should invoke a peaceful and giving heart. No longer is now you, you, you are not only satisfied with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That satisfaction pours out in abundance. To the point where you're just willing to give of anything. You're willing to give of your time. You're willing to give of your efforts. You're willing to give of your comforts. Whatever form that may take, it may take the form of hospitality, it may take the form of helping people in their houses and building houses, it may, it may come in the form of different things and, and giving people, it may come in the form of tithe and giving money. It could be in any form, 
but, but, but it seeks a way to say the blessings of God has enriched me so much that I'm willing to give and to give and to give because I have more than what I need. I have all that I need in Christ. And it speaks to the fact that God owns you and God owns everything. Do you believe that, dear Christian? If so, the way you use your possessions, the way you use your time, the way you use your money, including how you give, it will show. Proverbs 11.24 quaintly says, One gives freely, it grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. We've seen many of that activity here, perhaps in the church. I remember a former member here refused to tithe, but somehow never had enough money. And his excuse was, I don't have enough money on the top. This, but this verse holds true, whether you're in the middle class or you're considered wealthy. A person who freely gives reveals a heart that is content with what he has. It reveals a person who recognizes that his riches in heaven are great. A greedy person is never happy, never satisfied, holds tight to everything he has. That's the person who searches after earthly riches, who searches after, after being rich in this world, holds tight to everything he has. He's always suffering want. It's the person that's afraid to tithe because he's afraid... Um, about this bill, this bill, and that bill, and and, and, I, and I'm, you know, I, I've got this vacation here. You know, I always used to say, if you want to know what you value, look at your budget. If you want to know what you value, look at your budget. Now, that's not to say you're to spend all and most of your money on tithing and giving. It may mean that. I remember my dad talking about one time. He's speaking about this idea of tithing in the church that he was pastoring over Palm Harbor, Florida. And he said, he goes to the pulpit and he says, look, if you don't believe in giving 10% to the church, that's fine. Give 20. He says, the point is, where your heart is that's where your treasure will be. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Is your heart devoted to Christ? He will be your treasure. That's really the point. And so, pursue Christ. And that's the last point here. Verse 11. As for you, O oh man, flee these things. We flee what? Well, flee this desire for earthly riches. Flee this desire to be rich in this world. And, and, and do what? You always have to, it's, it's always a don't do, do this, but it always has to be replaced, but do that. And this is what you do. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Steadfastness. Gentleness. Pursue that. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Cling to that. That's what you do. Flee 
this this idea of just I want to be rich, I want to be rich, I want to make so much money. That, that's 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 what I want to do. This idea of the American dream. It's good for you to work hard with your hands so that you're not in need. But this pursuance of the quote-unquote American dream to be rich, it's a snare, folks. It's a snare. Pursue righteousness. Let, let, let me put it to you this way. Pursue Christ. What is the mystery of godliness? Godliness right there. There's that word, godliness. And then automatically your mind should harken back to chapter 3, verse 16. What is the mystery of godliness? He was manifested in the flesh. He's constantly, he says, this thing should rack in your head. Back earlier in the end of chapter 3 of this very epistle. What is the mystery of godliness? He was manifested in the flesh. He was seen by angels. He was, he, he was manifested in the flesh, seen by angels, vindicated by the Spirit. Proclaimed upon the world, proclaimed to the nations, believed on in the world, lifted up in the glory. That's the mystery of godliness. The person and work of Jesus Christ. To focus in on him, that's who you pursue. You pursue him and you pursue his likeness. Why? Because the likeness is promised to you. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love, the righteousness, the good works, the righteousness that Jesus Christ has given you. The good works that God prepared beforehand so that you might walk in them. Pursue the godliness that is, that is contained in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Pursue Him in all His glory. Read and seek Him in the Scriptures. Seek to live Him in your life. Live in faith and trust in Him and in His Word. Stay steadfast. Even through trials and tribulations. And through that, knowing full well that God has supplied every need of yours according to his riches and glory, you have now the freedom to be gentle and to give a reason for the hope that is in you and doing it with gentleness and respect. In other words, pursue all the treasures of Jesus Christ and seek to be in him. If you seek Christ, He will provide all the physical and spiritual means for you to do it. Remember, the, the, the things of this world are not the end to themselves. This is really the message. Don't treat the riches as if that is your goal. It's not your goal. Treat the possessions that you have in this world as a means to another goal. And that is Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart if you delight in Him. And as Jesus Christ said in His beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. Why? For they will be satisfied. Are you satisfied? Are you thirsting for righteousness? You will be satisfied if you thirst for righteousness. And lastly, he says this. He says, fight for the faith. Fight for the faith. Now, keep in mind here the false teachers that were concerned for this letter. Sometimes it's going to take a battle. A battle. 
As people will come in here and try to rummage your eyes away from Jesus Christ into the things of this world. They will come in here trying to speak to you really, and, and they'll look very kind. They'll look very nice. They'll be very convincing. And they will want to tickle your ears. They'll come in here and proclaim not just how nice you are. And they will stroke your egos in order to try to distract you to search after things for your own personal gain and your, for your own benefit. And then they will deceive you into imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And they will very conveniently turn your eyes away from this idea of contentment. Be careful. And they will look nice doing it. Remember, in the process of which a church you come in, and the church is so focused on Jesus Christ, Satan does not come in holding a knife to your throat. Many times he comes in, the false teachers will come among you, right? Beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 4, they will come in trying to lead you astray, not holding the knife to your throat, but holding it behind your back, stroking your egos. That's Proverbs, the Greek proverb says, <clears throat> the enemy is profuse with his kisses, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Beware of a profuse kisser. Pay attention to the words. Is he glorifying Christ in his words? Or is he trying to stroke your ego and then stroke it? God, be wary of you have to fight for the faith, which means you have to re remain militant and true to Christ. And specifically the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Jesus of all you have to believe in Jesus and describe it to Jesus, that's not described in the Bible. You have to fight for the truth of the gospel. This is what Jake Gresham Machen did. Several months we're going to look about the history of Jake Gresham Machen. Fought for the truth of God's word, for the scriptures. And the idea that God's word is historically true. That Jesus Christ did indeed come in the flesh. And so in this, lay hold of your eternal call and your confession. You were called to eternal life. You were not called to earthly life. This means you are going to always look at life on earth with an eternal perspective. doesn't mean you are to just draw your eyes away from your earthly possessions and never enjoy them. That's not the call for this. That's called... Monasticism—that's that's not what the Bible is calling you to do. Now, God created many things in this earth in order to be enjoyed, but we are to be—we are to enjoy them with thankfulness to, toward an eternal God, using them for the praise of God and for the furtherance of His kingdom. This—you are to look at life on earth with an eternal perspective. It looks to treasures in heaven, not on earth. And it asks the question, how can I use my earthly blessings to seek my heavenly blessings? By doing this, you will be using your earthly blessings in a way that, we're just, that they were designed to be used. If not, I guarantee they were not to be used that way. And so your joy will be not be made complete. You have the great privilege of knowing the full and real and true purpose of your earthly possessions. 
is to give glory and thankfulness to God. And by doing this, you confirm the confession that you made in front of witnesses. This is something that Paul is describing to Timothy about this idea of him making oaths. Could be membership oaths. Could be an oath that he made when he became ordained as a minister of his word. This is why we have vows for membership. This is why we do it in front of witnesses. At least partially why. This is also why we confess Christ every Lord's Day. We confess, we, we, we recite the Apostles' Creed, don't we? We confess it in front of many witnesses. We confess it to God. We confess it to each other. This is how we accomplish the command of Hebrews chapter 10 to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. You see that? We are to do that together. Folks, you are rich in Jesus Christ. If indeed that confession is genuine, if in your reciting of that confession that you genuinely do believe the words that are coming out of your mouth, then you are already rich in Jesus Christ. You are seated in Him in the heavenly places. You are already rich. And that, 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 those possessions, those heavenly possessions, if you cannot come in and steal, moth cannot destroy it is kept in heaven for you. You've been given a down payment by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which engages and opens your mind to hear, to believe His Word, that gives you that faith. If you hold on to that genuine confession. If you're reciting these words and you don't believe it, you're lying. You're lying to God and you're lying to yourself. And that possession is not yours. And so the question ought to be the examination for every one of you. When you recite things like the Apostles' Creed, do you actually believe the words that you're saying? If you do, here is the hope that you have. Jesus Christ has given you all things. He has given you himself. And, and, and the idea that God will withhold, would not even withhold his son, his only son for your sake. Do you not think that he would give you other things as well? Argument for Paul. The book of Romans. Christ. God will give you all things in Christ. Or, Our final hymn is going to be When I Survey the Wondrous Cross in 252. I just want to read a portion of it. Verse 2, it says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. Look at this. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his beloved. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. There is such love and sorrow meet, where thorns compose so much a crown. And then the kicker is verse 4. Where the whole realm of nature mine, where mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul. My life. 
my all. Your people of God, sing this song as if you believe.